Welcome to Native America Calling, I'm Sean Spruce. What many called an injustice for more than a century was made right when the International Olympic Committee reinstated two gold medals Jim Thorpe won at the 1912 Games. Even without the medals, Thorpe, who was Sack and Fox, is recognized as one of the greatest athletes and an inspiration to Native Americans and others everywhere. We're learning about the long process to reinstate the medals and celebrating Thorpe's legacy, coming up right after the news. This is National Native News. I'm Antonia Gonzalez. Pope Francis has arrived in Canada at the start of a six-day official visit. As Dan Karpinchuk reports, he'll meet this week with residential school survivors and is expected to apologize for the Catholic Church's role in the schools. The Pope arrived late Sunday afternoon in Edmonton, Alberta, where he was welcomed by Prime Minister Justin Trudeau and Governor General Mary Simon. On hand were other church, indigenous, and political dignitaries. In a message on his Twitter account, Pope Francis wrote, I hope with God's grace that my penitential pilgrimage might contribute to the journey of reconciliation already undertaken. Please accompany me with prayer. But the national chief of the Assembly of First Nations, Roseanne Archibald, was not happy that she was not included in the official welcome. And we don't feel that it has been about survivors. It has been more about the church, promoting the church's idea, fundraising for the church when they're asking people to pick up their tickets. I mean, this we have to refocus on what we're really doing here, and that's about survivors accepting or not accepting and listening to that apology from the Pope. Archibald says she's also disappointed that there were no women in leadership roles for the Edmonton welcome. The Pope is to visit a former Indian residential school south of Edmonton today and is expected to deliver his first public statement in Canada. And he's expected to apologize to Indigenous peoples for the Church's role in the abuses they suffered. It's estimated that about 150,000 Native children were forced to attend the residential schools across Canada from the late 1800s to the late 1900s. Thousands were physically, sexually, and emotionally abused. Many died. More than 60% of the schools were run by the Catholic Church. For National Native News, I'm Dan Karpinchuk. The Menominee Nation has announced a partnership with the Seminole Tribe of Florida to try again to open an off-reservation casino in Kenosha, Wisconsin. Chuck Kornbach of Station WUWM in Milwaukee reports. The Menominee made the announcement just hours after a village board okayed giving a company linked to the Seminole up to two years to buy 60 acres for the casino project. This is the second collaboration for the Menominee and Seminole tribes. Seven years ago, Wisconsin Governor Scott Walker blocked a casino plan. But Menominee Chairman Ron Korn Sr. says his tribe is still looking for ways to support its members. We have a really uh, difficult time meeting the needs of uh, the members of our tribe. And so we've always looked for ways to uh, generate additional revenue to help to meet those needs. And so that's been our um, goal for a very long time and it remains our goal yet today. Korn notes that Walker, a Republican, is no longer Wisconsin governor. Democrat Tony Evers is. That would be my, um, well, I can't say point of view maybe that, you know, be more favorable. The governor's office is only one of several government entities which would need to okay the casino. 
so would the city and county of Kenosha and Bureau of Indian Affairs. Evers says he's a long way from making a decision, but he doesn't rule out approval. I have approved casinos in the past, so it's not like I'm anti-gambling. In fact, I think the tribal nations of Wisconsin have the right to do that, and I've approved sports gambling and some other things. But Evers is in a re-election fight against Republicans this year, so the fate of the project may not be known for some time. For National Native News, I'm Chuck Kornbach. Native journalist Tim Gallego passed away Sunday in Rapid City, South Dakota. He was a co-founder of the Native American Journalists Association and started several newspapers. A GoFundMe was recently set up for Gallego, seeking assistance after he had major medical issues. His family posted on social media that he passed away peacefully, surrounded by his daughters and wife. He was 88 years old. I'm Antonia Gonzalez. National Native News is produced by Kiwanak Broadcast Corporation with funding by the Corporation for Public Broadcasting. Support by the Colorado Plateau Foundation. Supporting Native-led initiatives protecting lands, waters, and cultures by building networks, community, and organizational capacity. Proposals accepted through September 1st at coloradoplateaufoundation.org. Support by Ameren, the 100% tribally owned insurance partner working with tribal governments and enterprises to provide effective commercial insurance coverage, strengthen Native American communities, protect tribal sovereignty, and help keep dollars in Indian country. Info at Ameren.com. Native Voice One, the Native American Radio Network. This is Native America Calling. I'm Sean Spruce. Jim Thorpe is recognized as one of the greatest athletes of the 20th century. His dominance in football and track and field is legendary, and he also excelled in baseball and basketball. He won two gold medals at the Olympic Games in 1912, the first Native American to win gold for the United States. But until recently, those medals have been in dispute because the International Olympic Committee determined he was not eligible to participate in the Games because he was previously paid to play minor league baseball. It's nearly an absurd concept now to disqualify an Olympic athlete because they aren't considered an amateur. But it's taken more than a century to resolve the issue. We'll learn about what it took to reinstate Thorpe's Olympic medals and take the opportunity to understand more about his life and abilities. Join our discussion today by sharing your thoughts about the legendary Jim Thorpe. Call us at 1-800-996-2848. That's 1-800-99-NATIVE. The International Olympic Committee earlier this month officially changed the record books to list Jim Thorpe as the sole gold medal winner in the pentathlon and decathlon of the 1912 Olympic Games in Stockholm. And this has been a controversy going back as far as I can remember. And I want to congratulate everyone who has worked so hard for decades to advocate on behalf of Jim Thorpe and his Olympic gold medals. And I especially want to congratulate the Thorpe family, a member of whom is on our show today and their 110-year ordeal in defending Jim Thorpe's legacy. On the line in Battlefield, Missouri, is Teresa Thorpe. She's Sac and Fox, Citizen Band Potawatomi and Kickapoo, and she is Jim Thorpe's granddaughter. Teresa, words cannot express what a privilege it is to have you on the show today representing the Thorpe family. Congratulations again. Well, thank you so much. Um, we're so happy about this, that um, we've waited with bated breath for so long for this to happen. So thank you for having this show um, on this subject. 
Yeah, absolutely. And, and Teresa, what's your family's mood regarding this recent announcement from the IOC and, and your grandfather's gold medals? Well, I mean, we're all so happy. My father passed away um, quite, quite a while ago in 1986. Uh, I just wish he had been alive uh, for this, but everybody is so pleased. It's, it's taken a long time, but at least now I guess it, you can say that recognition is true justice for Jim. And uh, uh, we couldn't be happier that this has finally come to pass. We thank, we thank everybody that's been involved um, in this uh, effort to have his medals reinstated. Justice for Jim. So, I mean, it's just, like I said, I my whole life this has been an issue. I know your whole life as well. This has been an ongoing struggle. Um, Teresa, why do you think it took so long, 110 years, to finally get these medals back in your grandfather's name? Well, I, th- I think it, it's a reflection of um, uh, some systemic racism within our country. Uh, we should look up for the best, and I think uh, some of these things are getting resolved, but um, I do believe that that was a great part of it. So this is the perfect time when you have the Black Lives Matter and all of the things that are going on in the social arena uh, for this to happen. Mm-hmm. Yeah, certainly. I mean, the, the whole awareness with social justice and these other issues. Um, and, right. and like we mentioned earlier in the show, I mean, the idea of, of them you know, being concerned about somebody who played a couple of summers of minor league baseball when here we have these multi-million dollar professional athletes. I mean, it's, they, they all play now. And, and like, I mean, that goes back. I remember when they first, you know, started letting professionals compete in the Olympics back in the early 90s. You had the dream team. And it's been 30 years, 30 years. I, and yet here. Right. I, I was interviewed at that time. And um, I said, they asked me how I thought my grandfather would um, react to that. And I said, well, the, the first thing is that now you've got the Dream Team. I think it was 1992, and it's it's fine now. <laughs> you know, it was a complete 180, and um, it's just uh, where did we get from this point where my grandfather was um, disallowed his medals, and then get fast forward to that where it's absolutely fine. So um, I <clears throat> I agree with that. That was the first thing that uh, came to my mind when they asked me the questions. Mm-hmm. Well, before the show, we chatted a little bit, and and, and sadly, your grandfather passed away in, in 1953. He was 65 yes. years old. He passed away from heart failure. Mm-hmm. You were born in 1957, so you didn't uh, get a chance to meet him in person, but but your father and, and, and your grandfather were very close. Tell us about their relationship. Well, um, they were very close. Um, at the time, my father was in Korea when... Uh, Jim passed away, and um, them being very close, he uh, was not allowed to leave, which had him very upset. I think um, he may have been in the service. He may have been in the Navy at the time, and uh, he was so upset about that, he finally switched over to the Army, but he wasn't even able to attend his own uh, father's funeral um, at that time. But my parents were engaged, and my father um, used to tell us about stories about you know, going on the um, one story I remember was being on the pier in Redondo Beach and uh, <clears throat> how he was telling them that instead of just talking about it, oh, we can swim all the way out there to Catalina. And he said, just quit talking about it and get going because he was just that way. His father was just that way. But he told me um, a lot of stories about uh, them uh, as they were growing up. He was the eldest son by the second marriage. And so um, he had three other brothers, which I knew well and 
Um, and they all look like him, too. To me, I mean, in different ways, but they all had a real strong similarity to Jim. And did they all uh, inherit his uh, athletic prowess? Yes, I have pictures of my father in a running suit, and their their physiques, their um, proportions of their body, was uh, just it was almost alike. I think it may have been difficult for my father to be in the shadow of his father because he was very good at what he did, too. But I tell you, going to beat Jim. <laughs> yeah, that's a, that's a hard act to follow. <laughs> and what about for you, Teresa, growing up knowing that your grandfather, uh, you know, one of the first international celebrity superstar athletes, I mean, when we think of people like Michael Jordan and Tom right. Brady or whoever, you know, I mean, it all, it all really had its roots with, with people like your grandfather. Well, I think as far as, you know, the media covering things um, in newspapers, the, my first experience with it was really moving from California to Massachusetts. My father was in the service, and I was introduced, and I was a new kid on the block. And the next thing you know, I'm standing in front of this cafeteria full of you know people, and this is Jim Thorpe's granddaughter. And most of them were like little kids, don't even know what they're talking about. But it's, the older people remember that um, he was the uh, athlete of the half century by the, I guess, the, um, the Associated Press. And so a lot of them would, and they even see my name, and they say, oh, you related to Jim? And I'd say, well, yes, I am. I'm his granddaughter. They all go on, you know. <laughs> so, um, but I, yeah, as I got older, I started really um, exploring my Native American her- heritage. I, I identified with it very strongly. And mm-hmm. I think about my grandfather, and I think about the name that he was given, Akapamata, um, which is second fox for caregiver. And this things that he did even beyond um, the... Uh, a disappointment of losing his medals and everything to give back to his community and um, the things that he did and, and kind of cool, you know, the the, uh, the Hollywood experience that he had. I used to hear stories about him and Georgie Jessel and some of the old comedians. So, you know, it's fascinating being his granddaughter, but I never knew him. Uh huh. And and what do you think it means now to Native people? This this announcement that the medals have been reinstated. He's the sole winner. And so many Native people have been, you know, torn over this issue for so long. What do you think of that in terms of the big picture now? Well, I think it's I think it's wonderful. I read um, a lot, and I read by the uh, um, the great Alexi uh, Sherman Alexi, and in there you would see uh, he'd mention my grandfather, and I go, oh look, you know, a lot of books that I read are by Native American authors, and they somehow um, will focus in on um, a little something, a blurb about Jim Thorpe, because he's a legend to them. And I think that this um, is a great um, win for them, too, as well, to put, uh, it's it's a thing that uh, causes, I think, a great amount of pride for them, um, Jim Thorpe and his accomplishments, and I think it really lifts them up, you know, because they have, um, you know, stuck by this whole story for so long. Mm-hmm. They've well, suffered a lot of loss, we all know that, the tribes right. have. Right, right. And your grandfather, he, he had a tough life, right? I mean, he was taken from his home at a young age and lost a, a twin brother and, and just yes. he, he, he struggled throughout life. And um, I, I think what's interesting is I, I feel like he was really at that intersection um, uh, of that period of late 19th century Native American history when 
when we were going through these really, really tough ordeals. And, and he rose above that to become this contemporary figure, this this international celebrity, like we said. So his his life has just been so amazing. So much has been written. So much has been documented, um, movies and books. But is there anything out there, Teresa, that just hasn't been said yet about your grandfather that you'd like to share today or tell us about? Well, you know, I don't know if this has never been said, but I think that, you know, because of all of the um, fraught with the different problems of the time, uh, for him to lift himself up with the sheer determination um, that he had to overcome, you know, the um, some of the, the racism in the, in the boarding school uh, plights experiences, um, that he was able to just focus in on that one thing. Um, and I think that that's just something that, um, to all of us, uh, especially people, it, it can be done. It can be done. I, I worked for just a little while with something called Unite Now Indian Olympic Nation, and the idea was to get back into um, the great uh, upcoming athletes that are in uh, Native America that don't have the same backing as the white community. Mm-hmm. We're speaking right now with Teresa Thorpe. She is the granddaughter of the legendary Jim Thorpe, who we're celebrating today on Native America Calling earlier this month. Uh, the International Olympic Committee reinstated him as the gold medal winner in the 1912 decathlon and pentathlon events in Stockholm. Folks, give us a call. This is a big show, and we've got some. We've got Jim Thorpe's granddaughter. So, what are you waiting for? Call in. Give us. Give, ask her a question. Any any comments? One eight hundred nine nine six two eight four eight. We'll be back right after a short break. The Alaska Corporation made their move to drop the blood quantum requirement for shareholders. And Minnesota Chippewa tribe members voted to remove blood quantum from their tribal enrollment. We'll explore these recent moves and assess the future of blood quantum on the next Native America Calling. Support for this program provided by the American Indian Higher Education Consortium, the collective spirit and unifying voice of 37 tribal colleges and universities. For over 45 years, AHEC has worked to ensure that tribal sovereignty is recognized and respected and that tribal colleges and universities are included in this nation's higher education system. Information on a tribal college or university near you at AIH. EC.org. You're listening to Native America Calling. I'm Sean Spruce. We're talking about the legacy of Jim Thorpe today. After 110 years, he finally got his Olympic gold medals officially reinstated. Jim Thorpe is a contemporary Native American hero who became an international celebrity and one of the first superstar athletes. And you can join our conversation by calling 1-800-996-2848. What does Jim Thorpe's legacy mean to you? We're also at 1-800-99-NATIVE. Let's go ahead and go to the phones right now. We've already got a caller. We've got Ace listening on KUNM in Albuquerque, New Mexico. Ace, you're on the air. Hello, this is Ace Luke Tukro. I'm calling from Albuquerque, New Mexico, listening on KUNM. I'd like to ask uh, the, the woman about uh, 
Angelina Jolie's proposal to make a film about Jim Thorpe, about her grandfather's life, you know, when you look at uh, him being portrayed by Burt Lancaster in the past, just really curious what she has to say about that. Ace, thanks for that call. And let's go ahead and bring our next guest in because I know she has a lot of knowledge about the Bright Path movie. Joining us from Alexandria, Virginia is Nedra Darling. She's the co-founder of Bright Path Strong and executive producer for the upcoming film Bright Path. She's Cherokee descendant and a citizen of the Prairie Band Potawatomi Nation. Nedra, welcome to the show. Good afternoon, Sean and everybody. How are you doing? It's good to be here. We're all doing well, Nedra, and I, uh, Ace just asked, you know, that movie, Bright Path, I know that's, uh, there's been a lot of buzz about it over the last few years, Angelina Jolie involved with the project. What's the status? Well, um, at this point, we have some uh, news coming out in a few weeks, and um, just let me remind people of that article that you're seeing, I've, I've seen it a lot on Facebook, is uh, from, ni- from uh, 2018. So uh, we will have some, some newer news coming out and uh, very excited. Uh, I wish I could share everything, but um, because of COVID, we, um, we ended up doing some things that we were going to do after the movie, like uh, start the nonprofit organization Bright Path uh, to continue to, to, to fulfill Jim's um, goals in life of being, um, you know, the acapamata, like the caregiver that, um, you know, um, Teresa mentioned and to carry on and, um, you know, with hopes to work with young people in sports. And, um, you know, we have uh, uh, been doing that, but our our number one um, goal at that point was to, you know, uh, actually put the right, put the wrong right. And that was to get Jim back in his um, status of his records. I mean, I'm going to go, go to that a minute because, you know, I grew up in Oklahoma. My father and he were very, very good friends. Um, I never met him either. He died before I was born. But, you know, even looking years later from when I was a child and to look at the uh, Olympic um, Committee's results on their website even today, it, um, it was never – it was very unsettling to see that he was listed as a co-champion. And this was after the medals were given back uh, that were replica medals and the two of them to the family. Um, it just didn't make sense that in today's technology – uh, did did you know? It felt like it burned a little bit because did they think that we didn't know that he was really the champion? <laughs> did, you know, right. listing him co-champion, the closest person to him was like 800 points behind. So that was our goal for the last two years during COVID because uh, there was no way we could move forward with the movie and not have the threat of COVID, and we didn't want anybody, you know, any harm whatsoever. So uh, we do have um, an amazing team put together. Uh, we will be announcing um, a full announcement of our director, and uh, the screenplay is 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 amazing. So um, I hope that um, people will uh, stay tuned and uh, you know be with us as we roll that out. But right now we're celebrating Jim Thorpe and reinstating the medals, and um, it's taken all of the people like your listener that just called. I mean, my goodness, we could not have done as an organization without the people. Like the, like the caller, and I forgot his name. Um, I think it was Mr. Tucrow. Um, without people even thinking about Jim Thorpe or thinking about, you know, what happened to him uh, growing up, um, you know, from boarding school to boarding school, um, you know, realizing along the way, um, I think it was Pop Warner, and, you know, they recruited him to, to Carlisle, basically. 
and to go through being that amazing athlete on their football team and everything he tried at Carlisle, he, he surpassed anybody else. And um, had he been given the full chance at the Olympics and been trained properly, he would have superseded his own records. And I love the story. I don't know if Bob uh, Wheeler was going to share this or not, but I love the story and it heartens me when I think of him you know, running around doing all these sports at this, you know, Olympic event with two, you know, doing the decathlon and the pentathlon. And my favorite is where he had to throw the javelin. And so he, it's his turn to throw it. He walks up and throws it. And it was a pretty good record of throw. And then he kind of looks around and he's going, you know, like, oh, I could have, I could have run up to this point and then thrown it. (laughs) You know, he wasn't. (laughs) And, you know, when you think of that, what an amazing person. And, he was very close to my father. My, my family lived in um, L.A. Uh, during the time of the Depression when Jim had, you know, not only was the, and always in my eyes, and native country and people that knew, knew the right thing, and that was he was the 1912 uh, Olympic gold medal winner of the pentathlon and decathlon. He had done that, and then he went on to be, uh, the, the, you know, basically named the NFL it was named, I think, the American Football League or something, and he brought the name up NFL. He was the first president, very successful there. His career, he went on then to do, um, you know, going to MGM and working for them, and he helped a lot of people come to California during the Depression, and he, he helped them get jobs in the business. So, um, And he also um, founded the American Indian Center. When people came there hungry and tired and he, he made sure they had a place to be and a place to eat. And so, I mean, he's an amazing man, and um, there's a lot to be um, proud of if you thought of him, thought of the family, uh, helped sign our petition, you know, um, had those good thoughts about him. That's how we got here today. And we have to pull together to do that for all of our Native people in their struggles, whether it's athletic you know, in the communities. So I think, you know, look at how we all pull together with our non-Native friends, and we did this. So I'm so happy to be here today. And, um, you know, the movie part of it, we're going to get to that, and we're going to celebrate, and I hope we have a show about that soon, too. <laughs> I do, too. Yeah, we're going to be waiting and and watching closely as this all develops. I'm looking forward to that announcement that you mentioned that's coming up. And, Nedra, let's talk a little bit more about this huge win, not only for the Thorpe family, but uh, the Bright Path Foundation and you and everybody else involved in these efforts. Uh, talk a little bit about that process to reinstate, to reinstate the medals. And what do you think was the final deciding factor after so many years of work? Oh, it was a, a tremendous effort that had been going on years before we founded Bright Path Strong. Um, Mr. Mr. Wheeler, who you're going to speak with soon, um, was instrumental. He and his wife, Flo Ridlin, were instrumental in, in uh, founding the Jim Thorpe Foundation, you know, back in the early 80s. And uh, that was very instrumental in getting Jim Thorpe's um, medals returned, the replica medals, because the medals, we don't know where they are today even. So they got the replica medals, but even at that time, um, it was realized that they weren't going to change. They listed him then as a co-champion. So, you know, that happened. So that was part of it. And, and on that board with uh, Mr. Wheeler were, you know, LaDonna Harris and a lot of the Native leaders, um, you know, that have been a part of our communities for many years uh, and other leaders in the country, they were part of that. So a lot of their work uh, just, you know, was full-time, you know, on this. And, you know, you had Grace Thorpe and the, the, the Thorpe family a part of it as well. 
and um, other athletic associations and, you know, a lot of people. So that was the beginning. So when we founded Bright Path Strong and we decided, you know, with being within COVID, we weren't able to go out to do the movie at that point. Uh, we started looking at, um, you know, things that we wanted to do after the movie. And this was one of the very first things, and that was to get Jim's records reinstated. So we took that upon as uh, being our number one priority. And, um, you know, we had Bob Wheeler, who's one of our historians on the movie, and his wife. I mean, uh, we had the best tools right there. We have the uh, members of some of the Thorpe family with us as well. And we started down the path, and uh, we put a letter, um, you know, uh, to the president of the IOC. And uh, we thought, yep, here we go. <laughs> we did, and we waited for the answer. And um, we also did other research and got people on board, uh, organizations like NCAI, uh, the National Indian Gaming Association, you know, NAFOA, uh, the Boarding School Coalition, I mean, just so many people, NARF, I mean, you know, they, they joined with us as well, and uh, the letters were going back and forth for a few months, and then uh, we actually reached out to the um, United States representative, Anita de France, who is uh, an amazing woman herself, but she was also very instrumental because she was the um, sat on the executive committee of the IOC as the VP. So she, um, we we brought her the evidence that we had, and I'll let Bob talk about that evidence. But we brought that to her because that you know at first they're all going, um, you know, like they're kind of leery, and you know, who are we bringing this information to them? But um, she looked at it. She's an attorney. She's an Olympian. And she said, wow, this is, um, yeah, you got something here. And she stood mm -hmm. by us. We went through the process, and we owe her, a, 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 you know, a, great, a, a lot of gratitude. And I'd like to wish her well. She's not doing very well with her health right now. I want prayers for her to go out for her to help her heal because she was a very, very strong person that stood by us, stood with us, cried with us, wept with us, stayed up late with us. You know, she was there, you know, 100%. And uh, without our team, you know, uh, co-founders Chris Taylor and Abraham Taylor and the team that's on the board, um, you know, all of us working together and knowing that we had people like Mr. Tucro and everybody else out there that wanted this for Jim, we just kept pushing and pushing. And we, we did it, all of us. All of us did this. Now, did anybody actually meet with the IOC in person? The only person that met with them from our team uh, but she wasn't part of our team, but she really was, I guess, uh, was Anita de France because that was her responsibility. Uh, but, um, you know, we did not meet with him. We just, we corresponded through uh, letters. And, um, you know, I probably would have had the opportunity to meet with him because I was supposed to be in Birmingham for the, um, the uh, World Olympic Games just this past uh, week and a half. Uh, but because I got the letter um, on, you know, the week before I decided that we would work and figure out what we were going to do for rolling it out with the IOC. So I did not go down, but he was actually, um, the president, president Bach was at the Olympic games in uh, Birmingham. And then also the ones that just finished in, uh, or maybe they're not finished yet in Oregon, um, Eugene, Oregon. Okay. And you mentioned Nedra that the original medals that Jim Thorpe won, uh, nobody knows where they are. I, I, I understand. I've read that, uh, they, he had them in his dorm room at Carlisle and, and they were taken. And then, uh, does anybody know where they went from Carlisle? Were there, were they, were they ever 
documented as being in any museum or anywhere? My understanding, and Bob Wheeler is, he's who I call the Thorpeologist. He can give all the details on that. But more than that, it's when they were taken from him, it was in his dorm room. His roommate was there, and they asked the roommate to leave. He and the, um, it was Pop Warner and the um, head of the, board, the uh, Carlisle Boarding School, and they had written a letter for Jim that said that he was, that, that he was guilty of uh, the claims that had been made. And he so signed that letter, sign, right? They made him sign it. They took okay. everything that had been given to him. He also had some, uh, like a boat or something that was given actually by the king, you know, at the time of the presentation. Uh, but yes, they took everything, sent it back. You know, he just stripped him right up right there under a false letter that he did not write. And mm-hmm. um, if you get a chance, um, you know, for the people out there to read the letter, um, it'll burn you. <laughs> it'll burn your blood so much. And, um, you know, he did. He did. He did sign it under a force. I mean, when you're in a boarding school, what do you do? And I think that right. um, that must have been difficult, very difficult for him. But you know what? I've thought an awful lot about this as we've gone through this process. And I think, how did he have that strength? I used to ask my father this all the time. We would have conversations about this all the time because I did not understand how this could be. I just, it was always a mystery to me. And he would say to me, you know, Jim didn't dwell on that, Nedra. Don't worry about it. And I'm like, well, we should worry about it. This isn't right. He shouldn't have been treated this way. And so it went on for years. And, um, you know, I started, as I, as I um, looked at my own parents in growing up, and I realized as we've come along this process, the way Jim was treated uh, in that environment and as our own people have been treated you know, in that boarding school environment, you, you gain this toughness. And if that toughness hadn't been there, I'm sure it would have been a different result. But that mm-hmm. toughness kept him, kept him going and going strong, where he could be the man. He was an amazing man. He was kind, wonderful. You know, as, as um, Teresa mentioned, you know, he was Akapamata, the caregiver, and took care of people. So... You know, for that to happen, he was a true person coming out that survived those boarding schools because that's the, that's the M.O. of a lot of our people out there. And through that, I think I have to believe the creator makes me believe that that is how he got through this. And without that creator and without Jim, we wouldn't have made it through this process either. Well, one silver lining to this is it's just such a tragedy that those medals were taken and he never got a chance in his lifetime to, to reclaim them. But, um, but history, um, you know, has definitely acknowledged him as the gold medalist. And uh, the person who won the silver in the decathlon, uh, he was a Swede by the name of Hugo Weislander. And if you've never heard that name before, um, well, he, he certainly didn't go down in the history books uh, as, a, as the great champion that Jim Thorpe did. And in fact, uh, Weislander even acknowledged that Thorpe was the winner. He was the rightful winner of those games, and, and he was the rightful recipient of those gold medals. So at least uh, I think everybody can rest easy that, that Jim Thorpe, at least his legacy, um, regardless of whether or not he had the medals, everybody knew, everybody knew that he was the world's greatest athlete at that moment there in 1912 in Stockholm. And, uh, and Nedra, you mentioned, you know, the boarding school era and that, that puts a whole new, new twist into this, 
this debate, you know, and especially now with so much scrutiny being focused on the boarding schools in this country and their treatment of young Native people. And that was that that worst of that generation, that period when, uh, you know, the, the paramilitary protocols and the marching and the kids being put in stockade-like punishment uh, scenarios and things like that. And, and Jim Thorpe and his twin brother, Charlie, who sadly passed away um, at, at school during that same time as a, as a young child, they lived that as did so many of our, our grandparents and our great-grandparents. And the fact that he rose above that turmoil, that dysfunction, that tragedy, and, um, and and even though, you know, he, he dealt with a lot of unhappiness and, and some tragic uh, incidents and events his whole life, he certainly rose above in so many ways and continues to be such a great inspiration to all of us Native people today. And we're so excited to be talking about the Jim Thorpe legacy today, speaking with Nedra Darling with the Bright Path Foundation, speaking with Jim Thorpe's granddaughter, Teresa Thorpe. When we come back, we're going to speak with historian Bob Wheeler, who's going to give us some more facts and information on the legacy of Jim Thorpe. Thorpe. So give us a call, 1-800-996-2848. We'll be right back. With over 40,000 organizations trying to help military veterans, it can be hard to find the right information. That's why AARP brings together valuable resources to help navigate veterans' options, including no-charge veteran employment and fraud prevention resources, caregiving tools, and access to discounts. AARP is on a mission to support veterans. More at aarp.org veterans. AARP supports this program. This is Native America Calling. I'm Sean Spruce. We're talking about the history and legacy of Jim Thorpe today. We know him as one of the greatest athletes of all time, and now his Olympic record is corrected. What does Jim Thorpe and his influence mean to you? There's still time to join our conversation. We're at 1-800-996-2848, 1-800-996-2848. Give us a call. Our producers are standing by. Joining us now from Liverpool, New York, is Bob Wheeler. He's an honorary board member of Bright Path Strong. He is Jim Thorpe's biographer and founder of the Jim Thorpe Foundation. Bob, welcome to the show. Thank you, Sean. It's an honor. Especially, I, I call uh, Nedra and Teresa my heroes. Uh, it's, I, I could talk the whole time just about them. Uh, Teresa's father and his brothers and sisters, 50 years ago, I can't believe it was that long, when I, when I hitchhiked to interview people who knew Jim. I knew I had to do it then because his teacher was 104 and uh, President Eisenhower, who competed against Jim for the uh, football championship in 1912, had had three heart attacks. And and Carl Philip Thorpe, Teresa's dad, he literally adopted me and he was the first member of the board of the Jim Thorpe Foundation. And, and his strength really, really carried me through. And And I know this is about Jim, but Carl Phillip, as as Therese indicated, died at the age of 58. He embodied his father. He died literally not taking care of his health as he should have, but he was on, constantly on the road helping other Native American groups, and he was passionate right up until the end of his life, and that was his priority. And I saw so much in his life with what his father was, and—, and uh, Nedra doesn't know that I'm going to 
read this, but uh, I just have to say with 40 years working on the restoration, uh, the most powerful message that I have read was something that Nedra wrote when the the, uh, announcement was made by the IOC. She writes, this sends a powerful message of hope and liberation to indigenous communities in the United States and around the world whose past and present should no longer be invisibilized. I love that word, and that says it all. But I, I was honored to, uh, two years ago, join the Bright Past Strong Foundation. Um, as you said, it's nonprofit, and I love its mission is to continue Jim Thorpe's legacy of community service that Teresa and Nedra expounded on with the title Acapamata. So people know he was the world's greatest athlete, as you said, Sean, with or without the medals, with or without the sole championship status. But, but beyond that, as, as they touched on, he, he not only was the greatest star in the beginning of pro football, but he was the unanimously elected first president. And he went on for there. And, and this is another thing with, with his lifestyle. He played 16 years. Can you imagine this to your listeners who are into sports? He played Major League Baseball, played professional baseball. He played uh, NFL uh, professional football for 16 consecutive years with the seasons overlapping. And fitness, he spoke to, yeah, he he spoke to literally thousands of school groups. I have so many stories. He'd he'd do three speeches a day, and he would stress the importance to the children about staying physically fit. Um, He lived his life his early life in the outdoors. He used to say he could, he could uh, catch a wild horse and break a wild horse when he was 15 years old. And his favorite game was follow the leader. And again, this, I think this is an important message to our youth that uh, this game that uh, in, encompassed swimming rivers, climbing tall cedar trees, swinging there and leaping to the ground and running under horses, he, uh, he just was very much concerned about the youth and uh, spent a lot of time doing that, never getting any credit for it, never getting the publicity. He was very reticent to do that. But uh, mm-hmm. I'm so grateful for Bright Path Strong uh, putting this team together, this awesome team, to uh, correct this, this. I think it's the greatest injustice in sports history. Yeah, I think a lot of people would certainly agree with you about that, Bob. And, you know, talking about earlier the medals that were taken, talking about his performance uh, there in the 1912 Olympics and then playing there for the Carlisle Indians and and, and leading them uh, against some of the biggest games in college football that era, playing the big teams like Penn and Harvard. And I mean, it's just just such a legendary figure and and Bob what are some other highlights that that our listeners uh should know about Jim Thorpe both on athletic fields of competition and off the field well uh, a story that that a lot of people don't know I love how you said off the field because I think a lot of them know that he was a, a world-class athlete in 22 sports uh, for my 10th birthday this is what got me started my father gave me a book listing the world's greatest athletes. And among Jesse Owens and Babe Ruth and Bobby Jones, I said, Dad, why is a Paul Bunyan figure in here? And he said, what do you mean? I said, there's a p- person in this book that says was a world-class athlete in 22 sports. That's not possible. 
and he sat me down. He said, my father was a great student of Native American history, and he said he was a real person. His name was Jim Thorpe. And I was amazed, uh, Sean, that there were no books written about him. So I wrote a letter to the top sports historians, and only one responded. And this, this lit a fire under me that is still burning today. He says, watch carefully what you write, because more lies have been written about Jim Thorpe than about any player in football history. And he was mm. on the team with Eisenhower with six future generals. They outweighed the Carlisle Indians uh, immensely. And yet, uh, as President Eisenhower said, on the football field, there was no one like him in the world. I, I interviewed President Eisenhower. He was very frail. He was in a wheelchair. But he came to life with the name of Jim Thorpe. And he could remember every single play from a game a half century prior to my interviewing him. And <laughs> this is the feeling. It is. Yeah. I, I interviewed President Reagan, and he said, Jim Thorpe was my greatest hero. It's just, and it was over and over and over again that. And, and I'm so grateful that, that Teresa and Nedra mentioned the Acapamata because he didn't get any publicity for that. And as they said, he just, uh, um, he just was there to help people right up until the end. Okay. We've got another caller on the line, Nicole, listening in Gallup, New Mexico on KGLP. Nicole, thanks for calling the show today. Yes. Hi, Sean. How's everybody? But great to get to the, to the nitty-gritty. I was just wondering, since he was the greatest football player, oh, I love Jim Thorpe. He just is a, a activist in, in my book, and I signed a petition, and I was just wondering, did other NFL franchise uh, um, uh, groups, did they support this petition because of this tremendous injustice that was... Okay. Uh, Nicole, that's a really good question. Let's ask Nedra. Nedra, what kind of support did you get from active NFL players, the league itself, other former players? Were they involved in the effort to get the, the medals reinstated? Um, we did approach some of the NFL outlets and did not... Um get very far, to be honest with you. Um, there were some um, athletes that did support, I mean, NFL players. Uh, when talking to them personally, you know, they were very supportive. But it wasn't an overall campaign or um, interest of the NFL at the time. We were working our way up to that, to be honest. Uh, we had contacts and contacted with uh, um, several levels, um, including the you know president's office and and individual, um, like, different uh, teams around the country, but it had not come to that yet. So um, not really. Okay. okay, interesting. Thanks for that background. And I've just learned over the years that the NFL doesn't really seem to focus on its history as much as some of the other sports leagues, and maybe that has something to do with it. They seem very dialed into, like, their current league and their current players and things like that. But we've got another caller, Robert, listening in Pecos, New Mexico, also listening on KUNM. Robert, you're on the air. Howdy, man. Uh, I just wanted to say that uh, being a Chicano growing up in East L.A., when that movie came out with Bert Lancaster, it was inspirational. We we got it. You know, we because we, there was no other Native American image to look at. You know, it was uh, Chicanos and Mexicans, Anthony Quinn and Bo. But, you know, it's like uh, it, it, it inspired me uh, what a human being he was to achieve what he did. That's incredible, you know, to this day. Mm -hmm. 
Robert, thanks for calling in. And I, I think a lot of us remember that movie, uh, The All-American, starring Burt Lancaster. And it, it hasn't aged so well um, when we look at it now through a modern lens. But at the time, it was it was a very popular movie. And I know a lot of Native people watch it. I know of an uncle that has it on, D, on, on an old VHS tape, and he still likes to watch it. And I want to ask Teresa, um, Teresa, do you remember that movie, The All-American, with Burt Lancaster, uh, about your grandfather's I, life? What are Burt your thoughts? Lan- uh, when they had the first ceremony in Los Angeles, um, sponsored by the International Olympic Committee, they had um, him there, and uh, he. Uh, I always thought that really John Wayne would actually look more like Jim as he was a little bit older. But of course, Burt Lancaster was so you know athletic himself. And uh, I, uh, one thing, um, I'm, I'm not trying to cast any aspersions, but a lot of the the that movie was um, a little bit steered by his third wife, Patsy. Um, I do forget her last maiden name. but um, So some of the things in there weren't necessarily true, but it, it gave a real good picture of it. I'm really going to be excited when um, The Bright Path Strong comes um, with the movie that has a Native actor and um, a little bit more um, of that slant realism uh, towards him and his life. Yeah, I think the story definitely needs an update. And so we're all really excited about the the new Bright Path film that's going to be coming out hopefully before too long. And let's go back to Bob. And, you know, you mentioned 22 sports, Bob. I mean, just a a true, a truly gifted human being athletically. And um, he had a lot of natural talent. Nedra mentioned he didn't even really know how to throw a javelin. And here he was beating uh, Olympic competitors in the javelin throw. And, um, did did Jim recognize his gifts and and what about just you know his his work ethic and the practice and all that was was that a big focus of, of Jim's life as well, Bob? It was his entire life, uh, Sean. As I mentioned, he played the sixteen consecutive years. I, I accentuate the word years uh, in playing sports with 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 no rest, with no let up, and that was. Uh, that was really important to him. Uh, the previous question, very quickly to add, um, Keith Knoll of the AAU, uh, they were the AAU founder, um, James Sullivan, uh, was an extreme racist who said, I have a quote from him, the savage has been a very much overrated man from an athletic point of view. And he actually had a human zoo that he had tribe, tribal members from 51 tribes and an actual human zoo at the World's Fair in 1904. This, this is the racism is what, is what uh, Jim was up against. But Burt Lancaster said, said to me something that he said, you can't reveal this until after my death. But he said Warner Brothers did not want Jim Thorpe present when they were filming his life story. And so Burt called him privately and he said, Mr. Thorpe, this is Burt Lancaster. I'm an actor. I'm going to be playing you in a movie. I know I'm not as good looking as you, but I'm going to give it my best shot. Can I hire you as my personal assistant? And to me, that mm-hmm. that spoke volumes that he had Jim with him when he had to uh, high jump or he had to throw a pass or drop kick. He would bring Jim out on the field and ask him okay. to show him how how to do it. And and Burr was Bob, in the I'm middle so- of. Go ahead. That's Bob, okay. I'm sorry. Just real quick, why didn't why didn't Warner Brothers want Jim on the set? Because it was a Hollywood movie, and the movie has literally no basis in truth. It, it, it portrays Pop Warner as this magnificent father figure, and what, as Nedger was saying earlier, he was just the opposite. 
He was the one who sent Jim to play summer baseball to keep in shape. He was the one who denied that knowledge when Jim was brought up on charges. And as Nedra said, he uh, burst into Jim's dorm room, forced him to sign this letter of confession, and took the, the medals and the trophies and shipped them back to Sweden, even though he was breaking the law of the International Olympic Committee. And I have to throw in this about my wife, Flo. I think she calls it a miracle but she found the rules from the 1912 Olympics that the IOC said did not exist. She found them in the Library of Congress, which proved that the uh, International Olympic Committee had acted illegally, and that mm. resulted in the, uh, the gold medals being restored. But Bright Path Strong uh, and all of their work has resulted in his name being restored as the sole champion. Okay. Well, I just want to share a, a, a quick little personal family anecdote. My, my grandfather was born in about 1905, and he, he went to Haskell Institute in the 1920s, and he was one of those students that helped haul cement to build old Haskell Stadium. And and he remembered, I still remember him telling me this story, that Jim Thorpe once came back to Haskell. Uh, he was already a pro by this point, but he came back to Haskell, and he went out there on, on during halftime. Uh, with one of the Levi brothers, another you know another great native football player. It was either George or John, I can't remember. And they did an exhibition there in, in the middle of the field. They they threw the ball and they kicked the ball around. This would have been in the mid 1920s. So uh, Jim Thorpe just touched so many, so many lives uh, throughout Indian country and beyond. And I think it's so exciting that his legacy just continues to grow. And especially now with more than 110 years since he won that gold medal, and yet people are still paying attention. They're still watching. And it's tough now, especially with the way sports just come and go and athletes come and go. And yet Jim Thorpe, that legacy, I think it's in good hands with folks like Nedra and the Bright Path Foundation and, of course, the Thorpe family and many others in Indian country who are paying attention who are not going to let the, the legacy of Jim Thorpe fade away. Now, that is all the time we have for today, and I want to thank again our guests, Teresa Thorpe, Nedra Darling, and Bob Wheeler for sharing their insights and memories of the legendary Jim Thorpe. Join us tomorrow for a discussion about blood quantum. Some tribes are making moves to remove blood quantum as a requirement for citizenship or shareholder status. I'm Sean Spruce. Thanks for listening. Support by the Smithsonian's National Museum of the American Indian, presenting Ancestors Know Who We Are, a new online exhibition that features works by six contemporary black indigenous women artists. Joelle Joyner, Paige Pettibon, Moira Pernambuco, Monica Rickert-Bolter, Stormy Weber, and Rodslin Brown, addressing race, gender, multiracial identity, and intergenerational knowledge. More at AmericanIndian.si.edu. First baby, don't know where to start, CMS program coverage, prenatal service. Enroll today. Contact your local Indian health care provider for more information. Visit healthcare.gov or call 1-800-318-2596. A message from Center for Medicare and Medicaid Service. Native America Calling is produced in the Annenberg National Native Voice Studios in Albuquerque, New Mexico by Kwanak Broadcast Corporation, a native nonprofit media organization. Funding is provided by the Corporation for Public Broadcasting, 
with support from the Public Radio Satellite Service. Music is by Brent Michael Davis. Native Voice One, the Native American Radio Network.